Well, good morning, everyone. Sorry for the delay. Thank you for joining us so much. Uh, uh, welcome to Contramundum. Uh, I am your host, uh, Andrew Isker. Uh, CJ, unfortunately, there was a scheduling conflict. He's not able to join us this morning, but I'm here with the Prudentialist. Thank you, Prudentialist, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Yes, yes. Uh, unfortunately, CJ again is not here. Uh, I I messed up our our scheduling. Yes, it's not CJ, but hopefully it'll be okay uh, with Prudentialist. If you are unfamiliar with the Prudentialist, he is uh, a fantastic writer uh, and podcaster in his own right. Uh, has uh, a a fun and hilarious uh, show with our Canadian friend Geo. And, uh, and you, you do other stuff too, like old glory club, things, things like this. So tell us more about you. There might be some people that are unfamiliar with the Prudentialist. Sure. Well, like, uh, you had already introduced me and, uh, my name is the Prudentialist. Uh, also I go by Matthew over on the internet. Uh, I'm a writer, a, a podcaster. I'm a founding member of the old glory club, which is both a, a media conglomerate, but also a nonprofit organization sort of dedicated to a mutual aid society for like-minded conservative and patriotic Americans. Uh, alongside that, you know, I do host a podcast called The Digital Archipelago with my friend Gio Panichetti over in, he's up in Canada. And uh, mainly, I just prefer to write on international relations, culture, and trying to survive and maintain our, our Christian faith in the these trying times. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So if you if you haven't checked him out, please check him out. We'll, 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 uh, at, when we end the show, we'll tell people where to go to, to read your stuff. But today we're we are going to be talking about Ireland. Uh, Ireland has been in, in the news uh, over the last week or so. And uh, you wrote recently uh, on your Substack, and then we also published it on, on Gab News, uh, an article about an excellent article. We'll have a link for that as well. Uh, but what what is going on in Ireland, right? What happened? I mean, I think most people are aware that are you know watching the show, uh, listening to us about what took place in Ireland a little bit, but... Uh, but you know, give us the scoop, uh, just the the basics. Well, for the context of what happened over the course of the last week and a half between this mad Russian flurry of, you know, the hate speech laws or condemning the far right is, is that there was an Algerian national that was arrested for stabbing a teacher and a child and several other young children outside of uh, what would be an equivalent of an American elementary school in Dublin. Uh, promptly after finding out the nationality and origin of the alleged uh, thing, which of course led to the death, I believe, of a teacher and one of the children who were stabbed. Uh, riots had broken out and, you know, just the desire to get immigration under control and people just asking the question, what is an Algerian national doing in the land of Ireland? There, there's no point for this. There's no reason for this. But we have to also consider in the backdrop of this is, is that we have... Uh, seen very rapidly over the course of the last five to six years, really, um, a radical departure from sort of the Ireland that I think most Americans would understand it as a, a traditionally very, you know, both with its Protestant touch, but also a very Catholic country. You know, it had its uh, amendment to the Constitution recently brought, struck down in a referendum that had for the longest time for decades upheld the, the right to life and the sanctity of life for both the mother and the unborn. And we also are now seeing for the second time, it's the same man, however, the prime minister of that country being of uh, some foreign born origin leading the charge here. This is also with the drop of, you know, Ireland sort of famously being sort of this tax haven for a lot of companies. And that there is this overall drive, not just in Ireland, but in the West overall, that in the face of declining birth rates and uh, these sort of Eurosceptic nationalist tendencies that we've been seeing on the right now for over well over a decade, uh, well, you know, we have to make Ireland, we have to make the Western part of the world a place where investment and capital can still flow freely. So this means migration has to continue. And there are plans to make the city of Dublin, one of the largest cities in Ireland, um, to be a place where you know millions can live, we can double the population of Ireland, and if that means half of them aren't even from Ireland anymore, so be it. So, mm -hmm. you know, for a predominantly homogenous, you know, white Irish country to be reckoning with a, a wave of concerns over immigration and national identity, and to a large extent racial identity as well, we're, we're really beginning to see something bubble up. But as soon as these riots happened, we saw condemnation from the Irish government and pursuing of hate speech laws 
that are more strict than anything I've ever seen in the Western world. I mean, you know, just possession of certain memes or material on your phone. You can be arrested if you don't, you know, relinquish what you have on your phone or give up your password. Uh, these are things that are far more draconian and authoritarian than anything I've seen out of um, their neighbors across uh, with the, the United Kingdom. Yeah, it's it seems to me like my my perspective and I'm you know, I'm not Irish and so I don't you know pay that much attention to Ireland, uh, but I, I feel like I have a pretty good you know grasp on on their culture, on their way of life um, and, and how and, and how different they are really from uh, the rest of, of Europe. Right. Um, it, there is, there is a distinction there where like all of, all of these other things, like you see the, uh, the globalism that has ransacked, you know, France and Germany and the UK. Um, and, and you can maybe understand that in the context of essentially, you know, everyone here, I think, um, has listened to the show long enough. If you're new, this maybe is news to you, but, um, the, Western Europe is under American occupation and it has been since World War II. And so the reason why you have, you know, Algerians, you know, millions of Algerians in, in France and, you know, millions of Turks and Syrians in Germany and millions of Pakistanis and Indians in, in the UK is because the American empire forced them to, to do this essentially. I mean, it, it's, it's more complex than that, but, but it boils down to that. Uh, whereas Ireland yeah, was never really occupied by America, right? Never, there, there aren't, you know, American military installations, things like this. This is really, uh, like you said, like Apple has a ton of, of production over there because of both, um, you know, tax havens, as, as you mentioned, and also the like patent laws in, uh, in, in Ireland are, are like the most, um, are, are like the most uh, protective of businesses in the entire world. So a lot of technological development and things like this um, occurs over in Ireland. And, and so I, I know like there's a big, you know, medical device company here in Minnesota, uh, Boston scientific that uh, their main production facility is in Ireland is, is near Dublin. And, and so, and it's, it's like that across um, the entire country. So all of it's kind of like, you remember back in, you know, 2014, when, um, and, and 2015, when Obergefell was passed, and you had all of these states with defensive marriage acts and defense of, you know, bathrooms and things like that. Um, and um, the state of Indiana, for example, uh, who was whose governor at the time was Mike Pence. Um, they were told by all the big businesses in the country, right? If you, if you don't get rid of this law, if you don't accommodate homosexuality and, and get rid of you know, this law and veto this law, we're going to pull out all of our business from the state of Indiana, right? We're going we're gonna to suck your state dry of all the economic growth and opportunity and everything else. And so that's, kind, that's the, you know, the carrot and the stick that drives a lot of this. So it's not, it's not like formal occupation like Europe. But it is it's because, you know, global business uh, is is driving um, all of this change in Ireland that they need to be diverse. They need to be they, they can't be Irish anymore. Right. It makes it makes no sense from the perspective of an, of a, an actual Irish Irishman. Right. That uh, why would you want all of these Algerians and foreign, you know, foreign born people, people from Eastern Europe too, in in your country? Right there, there's no benefit to you as a country for this, but it benefits corporations quite a bit, and it benefits, uh, it benefits you know the entire globalist managerial system, because Ireland, you know, people might not know this, Ireland is a very homogenous society that resisted British rule for you know centuries, and uh, and so if you have a, a country that has this very, very high degree of, of group identity to the point where they're willing to do violence. Um, that's not good for you if you want to have all sorts of business there, right? You want to have control over these people. And so the way that you do that is you begin to replace them. You bring in diversity in order to chip away at this very strong identity that these people have, right? Would you, would you say that's accurate? Um, I would say that that's pretty accurate. I, I think it's also important to sort of consider that 
you know, when you're constantly pursuing a way to make your country, um, you know, investor friendly, this is always going to come at the cost of, well, outside of just making it a tax haven or outside of having laws that are pro-business, we also have to seriously consider, you know, well, that also require, requires human capital. And the way that we do this, of course, is always prioritizing uh, the the other. You know, we're, we're never going to focus on ourselves because when we've noticed, even in our own country here in the United States, that when we want to focus on things that are, quote, made in America or American made businesses, you're you know, just innately dealing with the fact that it is cheaper to hire someone else outside of the country or to bring them in on a visa who you can pay them less money, even if they do remittances right, uh, than it is to to hire someone who is native born. Uh, I'm kind of reminded of um, the philosophy of progress, and uh, I'll take my stand in the the South and the agrarian tradition that, you know, industrialists will always create a sense of need. Uh, You know, they need these luxuries, they need expensive machinery, um, but really it's no longer just, you know, luxuries. Uh, The the luxuries that we might consider of of what what, what Jonathan Bowden might have said, you know, you can can order a pizza and some Albanian man will deliver to you at 3 a.m. on a small motorbike, but now it's, (laughs) well, you can have everything that you need and it'll just be done by some Algerian migrant worker and you you know you just have to live with it and I, and I mean we see this already in London we, we've seen this already in, in in San Francisco that you know homelessness and drug addicts or or knife crime or, or terrorist activities those are just part and parcel uh, of living in a uh, large city and so they we we throw out the idiosyncrasies of what it is to have a homogenous culture and what that means for an identity. And I mean, this isn't a conservative talking point either. I mean, even progressives in the United States, like Philip Gaffaro, who wrote a book, you know, How Many is Too Many, the progressive case for uh, reducing immigration in the United States, said, listen, you won't have, quote unquote, any kind of democracy whatsoever if you make the, you know, society so ethnically, you know, uh, heterogeneous that at that point, it's just tribal uh, voting instincts. And we see this already in, in America. New York City's elections are nothing more than just elector, um, you know, racial electorates going to the polls, voting for their respective candidate. If anyone remembers the Dave Chappelle show from the turn of the, you know, the millennium, right? You had the racial draft with him and, and Bill Burge, you know, selecting who's going to represent which race. And that was basically how voting works in, in large cities in America, where it's just like, well, this ethnic group's going to vote for their guy uh, and so the on. Chicago mayoral election this year. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Basically, like I own I own Chicago. I'm the one that can put his stuff on the table. You know, that's the way that we see. Yeah, exactly. And and, and it's like people on the right, unless you're like on the online, you know, fringe Internet. Right. Like like we are. um, They're terrified of admitting that this is the reality in America today, that that you have ethnic and racial voting blocks and people vote that way. I mean, you're, you're actually starting to see that like the, the one gay black, uh, TPUSA guy, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rob, Rob Smith. Like he had, he had actually, he had actually a really good video, uh, <laughs> this week where he's like, stop thinking that like Republicans are going to, and this is a response to Trump with the BLM guy endorsing him or whatever. Right. It's like, stop thinking that you're going to like win the black vote. That's not how it works. Like they, even if even if every single thing that you do is in their interest and it's going to benefit you know the average you know black man or woman's life they're not going to vote for you because their party is the democrats that's who represents them as a as an identity group and you can talk all you want about oh we don't believe in identity politics da, 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 da. they do <laughs> so that's what matters <laughs> right you're not going to be able to convince them stop believing in this just vote as an individual well that's not how people think. That's not how people have ever thought, right? All, all of politics throughout history is people acting not as individuals in their own individual self-interest, but as, as, a, as a collective, as a group. And, and so I, I think um, people are starting to see this, right? Beginning to see this. And, and you think, I, I look at like Ireland um, as an example, like I had... I had someone, um, I, I wish I could pull these tweets up. Someone, uh, someone replying to me, um, about in, in our last video and, and saying that, well, you know, we live in a multicultural society and I, I want to be a faithful Christian in a multicultural society. And these, you know, it's just here, it's the reality. It's not going away. And I want to, you know, be uh, kind and generous to my neighbors. And, and it seems like you guys don't 
you don't want to do that. Like you, you want to be able to resist it and fight it and, and, and not be able to, you know, cope with it basically. And, you know, my answer to that is that's the way it is right now, but you have to understand that this is an, an entirely artificial construct, right? This, this society, like it is, it, it's not only artificial, but it's like up on these like popsicle stick stilts, right? Holding the entire superstructure together and it's not going to last. And, and you see how it's not lasting with, with the example that you give of the, you know, mayoral elections in, in, in New York or in Chicago or big cities, um, that identity politics is, is taking, you know, has taken hold and it's, it's not going away and there it's going to be this way. And so you see, uh, in Ireland, right. People beginning to reassert their identity as Irishmen, right. Where you have, I mean, it's, it's silly, but like the Irish lives matter thing, but that's like, that's like hate speech there. Like you'll go to jail for, for saying Irish lives matter. Uh, and, um, and, and it's like, you, you have, you see like the, um, city councilman in Dublin say, we should just shot those people in the head. Right. Uh, that were rioting. Right. I mean, these are, these are very, that guy also from India or something, right. All of their, all of their leadership, uh, the prime minister is, is like Indian or Sri Lankan. Um, the, the, all the leaders in, in Dublin, um, are not Irishmen. It's, uh, it's, it's like you're ruled by foreigners really. I mean, that's, that's the reality. And so like, they're, they're beginning to react to this, right? The, the natural reaction to a guy who shouldn't be in the country just killed a bunch of little kids. This should not be happening. Why is this happening? And there, there's anger and rage. And why do, you know, why do riots happen? Well, it's, you know, what, isn't it, you know, the voice of the unheard, right? Uh, it's the, uh, but you know, as, as much as we laugh at that, the, um, the AOC quote of, uh, MLK or whatever, or Malcolm X or whoever it was, doesn't matter. Um, or as much as we laugh at that, like that, that, that is one reason why riots happen because these people have no other possible outlet for their rage at what happened because the rule of law in, in Ireland does not exist anymore. Right. And, and you see this in America as well. I mean, you also saw this in Germany this week. There was, there was a girl who was raped for two and a half hours by a group of nine migrants and one of them went to jail for like two years and the rest are just released. And, and you see that and you think, well, I mean, the, the Germans have been, you know, so, so beaten down that there's not even a reaction to it, right? There's not, there's not going to be mass protests in the street or, or much less riots. Um, and, but in, in Ireland, there's still enough residual identity as a people that they, they're upset and angry. They don't want it, They don't want this. And, and so my, my question for you, this is a long question. I've, I've just been talking for like five minutes. Uh, this is all about a question. My question for you is with the entire superstructure of, <clears throat> of multiculturalism that, that cannot, I think cannot last, um, right. What's going to be the thing that just, that just knocks it off uh, at below the knees and just makes it collapse. Right. Will it be something like this? Will it be a place like Ireland? I mean, what's, what's it going to be? I mean, this is a very speculative question, obviously. And, and I'm not saying like, give me an exact idea of how it's going to play out in the next 20 years, um, you know, to the, to a T and I'm going to hold you to it, right? I'm not saying that, but what, is it going to be something like that? Well, uh, yeah, well, th thank, thank God. Uh, I don't think scripture has any strong pro gambling position, so I'm not going to make any major stakes. Right. <laughs> but, um, I, I do think it's sort of, I, I think the way that you just described it on on, on these stilts, it's, it's very interesting. Our, a friend of mine and a great essayist himself, probably one of the best in the sphere that I follow, Morgoth's Review, he had this great essay not too long ago, sort of talking about the, the Western world and the comforts we have as an elephant on stilts. Yeah. And especially when it comes to our internet cables under the water and how like sharks mm -hmm. can attack the cables. It's very it, real things like do. this happen yeah. and they do. And, and so like our entire comfort and understanding in our way of life are, is this massive, you know, two ton elephant on stilts. And there are any number of things that could cause it to collapse. Um, when I put that essay out, uh, a friend of mine had, had shared it and some comments came in and one had said that it is ironic that a nation that has built itself on defining themselves as Irish and had resorted to violent action to defend that, whether it be the Easter Rising in 1916, the Troubles, the IRA, and so on, that, you know, at this point, there's this level of complacency. And I, I think that it is important to recognize that 
regardless of what does happen is is that you have an ideology that rules over the state that is purported by the state that is supported by the media academia and all institutions of culture television the news whatsoever it's it's there and when we see it in america too and it is of course it has this american root of this notion of progress but when we look at progressivism today it is suicidal ideation on a civilizational scale you know uh give up your traditions we're going to destroy your um your your idols or your relics of the past i mean we you know not even robert e lee's horse was safe yeah. right from from what happened here in america we saw this in 2016 17 the 2020 election i imagine we'll see even more of it in 2024 but to re uh focus it back to ireland uh the the question will become um, and, and Ireland is an interesting testbed for it because it isn't like the United Kingdom. It isn't like Germany. It isn't like the United States where it has as much power on the world stage to where there could be effective organization against it. The question becomes how quickly does the state move and, you know, to, to criminalize opposition? And unlike us in America, who have the benefits of federalism, who have the benefits of uh, lo localism, and ha you know, if the if the sheriff is friendly with you, or if you know him very well, you you can be safe to some extent. Whereas over there, there is no back the blue, and I mean, even backing the blue in America can sometimes be oxymoronic or or even downright foolish because yeah, you can support the cops and support law and order, but those are the same cops that are going to arrest you if you if you support the defense of your of your heritage and your culture. Uh, as for what might make this snap, I, I think it would take some serious, maybe French level of rioting for this to occur. I mean, we saw this earlier this year where an Algerian migrant was uh, killed by police. And from all intents and purposes, it looks like it was very much justified in their actions that you need to instill a reason to to fight back or to to live. And I mean, this is what we've seen for the last 50 plus years, both in the West and in America and other places, especially. It's just that what's the point of going on? We, we see a, a state sponsored movement to not have children. We, we see a state sponsored, you know, Red Scare style hysteria, but rather over the atomic bomb. It's over climate change. Um, you know, every advertisement features some kind of. Uh, for lack of a better word, miscegenation, you know, between, you know, the native population and Im immigration, that this is the future of Europe, despite the fact that nothing European will survive. I mean, Joseph de Maistre over 200 years ago called it, you know, when you assimilate, you kill what came before. There is nothing that survives. You've assimilated it into something new. Yeah. And so I, I suppose if anything is going to be the major shock to the system, it will unfortunately be a political cornering. Um, we, we saw this in America when it came to the Civil War. Everyone likes their progressive historiography to say it's about slavery. But one has to understand that the Free Soilers, as well as sort of the early states of the proto-Republican Party at the time, was basically saying, well, we just don't want black people in the western parts of the world, or the western parts of America's territories, which would effectively make them not slave states, and which would effectively eliminate any political voice on the national level that the South had. And seeing the increase of taxes that were put on from tariffs from the agriculture in the South, King Cotton diplomacy was suffering. You're seeing a Southern regional identity under existential political threat that it no longer has representation in Washington, mm -hmm. and it will continually be taxed by a wealthy industrial base to its North. And at a certain point when you see the writing on the wall, yeah. right, of how existential it is for your own political voice and right to live, people chose exit. Now, of course, exit for Americans has been killed since 1865, and the nail in the coffin was driven in in 1965. But for, yeah. for Ireland, I, I imagine, as with a lot of European states, that it will only come when political, any semblance of political voice is gone. And I mean, everyone likes the, um, you know, the, the 2015 novel submission, you know, by Michelle Holbeck, that, you know, sort of depicts this um, Islamist party that will eventually rise and maybe one day rule over France. But I, I mean, I think it would seriously come to that for for a serious degree of people to wake up. Ireland, I have more hope for because Ireland is smaller. It's not a military regional hegemon or superpower. And, you know, it has people that have at least a blood memory of, of rebellion and defense of self and identity. Yeah, that's I mean, that's why I think, again, you're right, like Ireland is is unique uh, in, in that way and why 
you know, you, you, you sort of think like if, if it's going to be somewhere, it's going to be there. Right. Um, and, and, and so I think, yeah, I mean, the, the point here, you know, that I, I highlighted comment, you know, bread and circuses vanish. We'll see stuff get wild. Well, I, I, I think like that it, it's a good point. Um, you know, it's one people often make, but pe- our, our people are so conditioned to the bread and circuses that, right, until the whole thing collapses, they're going to continue to have them, right? I, I make this point all the time that, like, the moment I knew the, for certain, I mean, I already suspected and had a pretty good idea that it was all fake, but the moment I knew the the whole Wuhan virus was was a joke was when the NFL said it was still going to have a season, right? Uh, we're not going to have any fans in the stand, but we're still going to have a season. And it's like, huh, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's the, this world historic event, but you're still going to have your NFL season. Right. Um, and so like, no, the, the bread and circuses will keep going on right to the very end. I mean, the, 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 the goths will be burning down the city and we will, we'll still be, you know, setting our fantasy football lineups, right. As it's happening. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't know if the, that necessarily is a thing that's, is going to happen, right. They're going to continue to, um, continue to keep people pacified and 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 but at the same time i don't think the like i'm not a i'm not a a democrat with a small d um i'm not a populist in in the in the true sense although i'm sympathetic to populism um i i don't think the masses of people you know that's not what moves history right it is it is always a small group i mean that's what like when you look at why is, I mean, this is another thing to talk about. Like why, why is the FBI um, entrapping a 15 year old, you know, traditionalist Catholic boy in a telegram group chat and then arresting him and like, and, you know, persecuting his family, having their kids taken away by CPS and all this kind of stuff. Why are they doing that? It's, it's because they understand the power of even a teeny tiny little group that opposes all of their goals and is able to say the emperor has no clothes, right? They are terrified of that because they understand if even if the ideas that we have, which are not crazy or anything, they're very reasonable ideas. They're the same ideas that people had a hundred years ago, right? There's nothing novel or unique about what I believe or you believe or any, anyone on the online right believes as much as people say, um, nothing, you know, really that radical or crazy <laughs> actually, um, it's pretty, pretty reasonable stuff. And if that gains a currency among 3% of the population, right, then it's, it's over for them. Right. And so, I mean, you bring up, you know, Bowden earlier, like the, you know, Bowden's point about the Vanguard is especially prescient. I think that, um, that it, all it takes is a, a small group of people who are united and not, and not giving up. And and still hold the, a flame, little flame of hope, uh, together, to resist. Um, that's all it takes, right? It it, it takes you, you just a small group of people that are fighting for something, and and so you see that in in a place like Ireland, right? They they could easily have that, but you look at, I mean, you look at what's happened with you. You have, you know, the basically the, essentially the IRA party, right? Uh, what is it like Sinn Fein? Yeah, um, I'm mispronouncing it probably, but um, right. I mean, they're totally global homo, right? They are, they, they totally are. Like they, they, they're like behind the diversification of of um of Ireland, and and so like all of that has been subverted, right? And of course, they were very socialist and and you know pro Soviet Union and things like that as well. So you could maybe see how ideologically there is that overlap from the end of the cold war till, till now. Um, but it's like, I, I think, so all the structure and organization that existed in resisting the British is subverted into uh, serving the interests of the, the globalist regime. But that isn't to say that um, things, <clears throat> things, things very similar to that couldn't be organized and, and, and built up, especially Right, you look at it when we haven't even uh, mentioned. Um, we have this is a good one too. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the um, uh, the MMA fighter Conor McGregor, right? And and seeing you know seeing the, like the, here's here's probably the most famous Irishman in the world, 
right? Him and like Bono, but I think McGregor is 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 much you know much bigger deal now. Um, is is saying what's this guy doing here? He's he's saying all the things that regular people in Ireland and and across the world are thinking. And um, but even then he's had he's dialed it back a little bit. Oh, we still want some immigration. Like somebody got to him, and probably because of the threat of of you know going to prison over what he said. Like they're they're trying to they're even for the things he's already said. They want to he's being investigated, right? Yep. And we put him in jail or not? And and but the question is if if the penalty for speaking out is the same as actual rebellion. That's, that's an, I mean, I, I want to be careful not to, you know, fed post on, our, on the stream here, but like, if you put people in that position, <clears throat> right. <clears throat> Excuse me. You put people like in that position where, all right, I could say that this is bad and these things are not good. Or I could, you know, like fight the government. Uh, right. Well, which one are you going to choose? Right. Uh, and, and so and it's almost like they're driving people to to do that so they could crack down on them. And that's that's some speculation that people have made is if you box them into a corner like this, they will want a violent reaction so that then they can take the gloves off. And, you know, just like the, the city councilman of Dublin said, just start shooting people in the head. And and so, I mean, if it if it boils over like that, because it's, it's this is not going to be the last time um, an insane uh third world person stabs Irish people, right? This is going to happen again, right? It, that's the writing is on the wall. It's, it's going to happen. And so, yeah, um, I want to get to this, this comment here because this, this video, it was, it, it showed up, you know, a month or two ago. I'm yeah. sure you saw it, right? The, uh, the video where they're going around man on the street interviews and they're saying, Hey, what's the, it was, uh, what city was it in? You remember the city that, um, they were in, I, I don't off the top of my head. No. It wasn't Dublin, but it was one of the other larger cities in uh, in in Ireland. And they're like, "What's the what's the most popular baby name? Yeah, you know, for a baby boy in uh, in our city." I'm like, "Oh, it's it's got to be George, right? Or Thomas, or or Matthew, or 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 Patrick, right? Um, you know, traditional Irish uh, Christian names." And and the look on the people's faces. Cause they go through, they're like, they, they give the names, give the names, give the names. And they go say, it's actually Muhammad. And most of them, especially if they are, um, you know, 50, 60 years old, uh, yeah. you can see on their faces, they, the shock. Or the, oh, oh, that's, that's nice. That's good. That's very, that's, that's wonderful. You know, like yeah. they're shocked, and then they immediately have to cover it up and, and voice it. They see the cameras, you know, on them and, and they can't say anything not politically correct. Right, they have to say, "Oh, that's wonderful! Isn't that so great? That, that's neat." Uh, but inwardly, you know that they are thinking, "My country doesn't exist anymore." Yep. Right. This is it's, it's gone. Right. Ireland is gone. I mean, the only there was only one guy at the end who was like, "Mohammed, bleep that!" You know, <laughs> he's losing it. Uh, but he's like our age or younger. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's that's part of it too. Like, I think that the younger generation even though they are just as psyoped as, as the, their, their predecessors, um, there is a much larger segment that they realize that they're getting, they're getting the shaft and that, you know, economically their, their lives are not going to be anywhere near as good as their parents and their grandparents. And so it's almost like, what do I have to lose by entertaining politically incorrect ideas? I don't have anything to lose uh, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, the, the political commentator in America, John Doyle, has made this point over and over again. He's just like, if you're a white guy in the United States in 2023, I already know what your politics are, more or less, just because, like, you're a white man in the United States of America. You're the most hated thing in the country. So, yeah. you know, you're you're going to be politically active and probably have opinions that aren't tasteful to the regime because that's just the way that things are these days. And I mean, we saw this in America, too, with January 6th. You had you know, redstate.com political commentator, Eric Erickson, basically say, yeah. screw the rule of law, shoot them in the head. I yeah. mean, like this is allegedly our guys, right? That are saying yeah. the same things in the, in the sake of the rule of law. And when people do act up in defiance, um, whether it be, you know, electoral justice protests of January 6th, 2021, as our friend Charles Haywood likes to say, or simply just voting for someone like Trump, is considered such such an existential threat to their existence that yeah. they have no problem justifying the most extreme, inhumane forms of, of political violence towards you. 
and I, I think that once you're in that sort of corner and we're, and I imagine Ireland is looking at America and is like, Oh, well, we can just do the same thing. You know, we can arrest them. We can investigate and, inter- you know, interrogate, etc. You know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn had said there is but one choice to rise to the task of the age. And I mean, that will eventually mean some political action organization and, and refusing to do it. Um, and Ireland of course is a smaller country. It's still vastly more homogenous than the United States or other parts of Europe. So there is, there's hope for them, but I mean, it's going to come at a significant cost because they already have counter-terrorist laws on, on the books, whether it be dealing from the, the troubles and the IRA and such, and the response to Islamic terror. I mean, everything that we've seen in the last 50 years about fighting communism or fighting, you know, Islamic extremism is all now being used domestically. I mean, this is why still to this day, the, the current president of the United States, senile as he is, you know, he'll tell you that the biggest threat to the United States is domestic white supremacist terrorism. Although the number of actual white supremacists in the United States are like close to zero. Um, and and, and most, that's of just, them, most of them draw a paycheck from the federal government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of them, most of them get their, get their cash from Uncle Sugar. You know, it's not a big yeah. deal. Uh, it's just the way that things are. And I mean, it's important to, to consider these things. This is that, you know, uh, Ed West wrote in the Telegraph in like 2010, you know, it was, it was soon after the coalition government was formed with David Cameron and the Lib Dems. He's just like, listen, the, the demographic trend of of our of our country just means that, you know, uh, the conservatives, the Tories will be a white party and the labor will be a more uh, minority majority party. It, it's the democracy has a race problem. And uh, eventually, when you can outvote and or play the rigging game and, and to ensure a procedural outcome to get a desired result, right? Uh, you know, democracy is just a lovely uh, low energy ritual that we all put in to maintain a semblance of legitimacy. But anyone who can wake yeah. up and smell the coffee roses, you know, knows that, oh, none of this is legitimate. You're importing people to replace and diminish my political power. You relish in the replacement of my ethnic and political and cultural identity, at what point do you know you, you you just say, oh, these people really do hate you and want you dead? And uh, I, I feel like as if we're we're coming to a head with that. And I mean, as I wrote in that piece, you know, um, the the great sort of media scholar and to some extent a secular prophet, Marshall McLuhan, a great Canadian thinker and writer, he basically said, you know, no nowhere in the history of the world when people get all bunched together do they suddenly start liking each other more. No, that we become more intolerant. We we are more uh, tribal. We are we are becoming, as he called it, more orientalized and fused together. Our Western forms of communication and identity are washing away in this sort of electronic global village. And we see this all the time, whether it be on Twitter or even regular people beginning to notice things. I mean, I, I know it feels like forever ago, but I mean, let's go back to, say, February of this year. You had Scott Adams, of all people. You know, yeah. reacting to I hate going on Twitter and seeing nothing but disgusting racial violence on my timeline every day. Yeah. And yeah. again, when we're exposed and we see it in our faces and we live in cities where this happens, where Algerians or Somalis or whatever can stab, you know, predominantly white European children or, you know, run for city council and just swamp your vote. I saw earlier today or this week uh, a time, you know, a tweet from some Muslim activists in the United Kingdom say, oh, there are like X number of labor constituencies where Muslims would have the majority vote and we can just have our own power and government. Um, you know, it wouldn't be traditional labor. It would be Islam, uh, which, of course, is antithetical to the West in general. You know, uh, and unfortunately, it seems that the, the the spirit of Charles Martel is nowhere to be found. And that needs to to come again, lest it lest we see the continued track of our destruction. Well, and, and you see this with um, just with <clears throat> the and this is like the thing that Elon Musk you know got in trouble for um was his reaction to the influx of of third world people in America and in the west that are are waving you know Palestinian flags and Hamas flags and 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 having these mass demonstrations all all over the country uh, especially in in you know large universities you know, causing uh, all sorts of trouble in in these places and and he, he like said out loud what what many people are thinking and afraid to say that we brought these people here. What did you expect was going to happen? Right. They the the entire and this is why the on the right, the Israeli, you know, uh, Gaza conflict is is actually complicated and tricky. It's not it's not very you know simple. 
because right, I don't have any sympathy for Israel at, really at all. Uh, but at the same time, the people that are supporting Palestine and Hamas, at least the the large segment of them publicly, are the same people that hate us, right? The same people that that did all the BLM stuff. This is just BLM with a different flag at this yeah. point. It's all the same people. And they 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 want the Israelis dead because not because they care about, you know, anti-Zionism or the fact that that Gaza is is this open air prison camp. They they, they use all that rhetoric, but the 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 what drives it is they view the Israelis as white and yep. white colonialized. Yeah, they view them as European. And so they view them just like they do France or England or, or Great Britain or the United States. They view them as, as white countries that should be, you know, engulfed and destroyed. Um, they, they, that's, that's what drives it. Not because they, they care about, you know, the Israelis or anything about the, the nuances of that conflict. Um, and so that's, that's why I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to like, you know, constantly post uh, how bad the Israelis are all the time, even though I'm, I'm not, I don't, I, I think they're, they're doing very bad stuff. And, and the whole Zionist project, there's all these, you know, all these issues with it, all these, we could talk about all day about it. Um, but the other side isn't any better. It's like, you know, you, we bring up, you know, Henry Kissinger <laughs> earlier, I think before we, we went on air, um, where he has the famous you know, quote, it's like, it is a pity that both sides cannot lose i was just about to reference that yeah Yeah, you know it is it is a pity (laughs) he's talking about you the iran iraq war but it's 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 perfectly valid for uh israel and and gaza where it's like both both sides at least at least not even necessarily the conflict itself but the larger their supporters on either side right i want those both sides to to lose i don't want the pro zionists in america to win and i don't want the pro hamas people in america to win either because neither of those groups are on our side at all. Um, and so I think, you know, I think we answered this question here that, you know, why do you feel that like the younger generation is more vocal uh, because they have to, they know they have to live with it longer. I, I think that's, you know, I think that's part of it um, that, that, yeah, it's, it's here and we've got to deal with it. And like the, the boomer generation, I mean, this is the thing that boomers say, well, you know, even, even like um, my own relatives, you know, will say this to me when I, when we, I talk about these things. Um, and it's like, uh, well, yeah, it's really bad. It's really bad, Andrew. But I'm gonna be dead soon, so it doesn't really matter that much to me. Like that's the that's the uh, attitude that they largely have. And I mean, of course, that's horrible. Um, but yeah, we we're gonna be around. We I I have little kids that are gonna have to live in this world. I want to have grandkids someday that are going to have to live in this world. And it is. Yeah, it's on the front of my mind. Whereas when you've already had enjoyed your life, right, for 40, 50 years, you had your career, you you had a fairly, you know, by historical standards, right, even if it is an upper echelon, you know, uh, income, by historical standards, it is, but you've enjoyed a very good life. And you're in the sunset of your years, you're not going to be the as concerned about these things. Whereas younger people, Right, they know this is this is it. This is here. This is the world I'm in, and we've got to do something and say something. But I think I think that's a, a lot of it. I think, and you you brought up as well that like young men, you know, young white men in America know that they're the despised group, whether or not they vocalize any anything politically, whatever. If, if even if they're totally disconnected ideologically from anything, right? They just know that they are the very bottom of the totem pole. That they're the despised and hated group. And they're just going to be dumped on no matter what. And so within that paradigm, of course, you're going to look at it and think, yeah, yeah, this, I, this is maybe not so good. Uh, you're, you're going to be attracted to um, heterodox ideas. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, I mean, you want to elaborate on that a little bit more. I mean, you did a little bit. I mean, you talked about McLuhan, which is great. I, I knew we have you on like the, McLuhan's going to come up at some point. Uh, but uh, um you know what? What else is there? Anything else behind it? Do you think? Um, well, uh, another another important writer that is definitely well worth reading, especially if you're not familiar with his work. Um, there is an essay called "Notes for the Reactionary of Tomorrow." This was written in 1985 by the late and great um, essayist and columnist Joseph Sobrin. And Joseph Sobrin, like, if you think that you're red pilled now, read this essay from nearly 40 years ago, and you're like, oh, there. You know, as, as the psalmist says, there is nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And to which Joe Sobern is writing and he says, listen, 
you know, the, the mainstream progressive ideology of liberalism in the United States and the Western world is so afraid of nativism. It's so afraid of anything that resembles um, the conflict of World War II. You know, Jacques Derrida was wrong. You know, we're not haunted by, we're not haunted by Marx. We're haunted by a man with a funny mustache from Austria. We're, um, and so we, we focus on the alien. You know, this is what Roger Scruton would call oikophobia, the fear of homeland or the resentment of the homeland. And we worship alien, you know, the other, this idea, and he calls it alienism. So we, we focus so much on what's new, what's foreign. And this is this sort of disgusting sort of ideology of well, you know, like like Molly Tibbetts' father, you know, just like well, yeah. they're 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 Iowans with better food, yeah. despite the fact that your daughter faced the most disgusting assault and death imaginable. Um, that's what you have to say because the the mainstream shibboleth that we all have to bow down to is the foreigner, and it's an important thing to consider that any sort of reaction that we get is always going to be compared to. Um, you know, what happened with with the rise of fascism as a reaction to Bolshevism and communism during the 1920s and 30s. And so we see this already where like the Economist magazine was just like, well, the biggest threat in, to the world in 2024 isn't climate change, isn't nuclear war, isn't getting hit by an asteroid, isn't like, you know, Skynet level of artificial intelligence. It's Donald Trump. You know, a 90s Democrat apparently is the biggest threat on God's green earth in, in 2024 is the idea that Donald Trump could somehow get back in office. Yeah. And it illustrates that this is the level of existentialism that the left is used to. The, the right doesn't because we're historically, you know, as Sam Francis said, we're, we're beautiful losers. We yeah. like having our morals and we hold our heads up high as we're about to be executed by the headsman. Right. Uh, but instead <laughs> the left understands that in politics and in, in our democratic system, and they're very Schmidian in this sense is for as much as, you know, the odious James Lindsay likes to call right-wingers Schmidians. It's the left that truly embodiment because yes. every, every election for the left is an existential threat where cheating, murder, stealing, lying, every sin under the book is justified. Whether it's former President Joe Biden telling black voters they'll put y'all back in chains in relation to Mitt Romney, or that, you know, it's it's uh, as what the, the essay of Spantrell would say, you know, if you don't vote for me, the progressive Democrat, it's 1950 again, you're on your own, it's okay to be white, sorry, you're out of luck, so you got to vote for me, lest, you know, we go back in time. And that's sort of the state of affairs that we're currently in. And, you know, I think it's important for us to consider that we're not going to go back a hundred years ago anytime soon. You know, we're, we're not going to be little Englanders. We're not going to be Charles Lindbergh style isolationists. We're, we're, we're not going back to the Shire. We do live in sort of the, the global village. We, we live in it, although it's more of a, of a global, you know, open, you know, PVP server where everyone's fighting for clout, influence, money, and followers. Um, and that's what makes Twitter so interesting. But it, it does it, it does illustrate that we are in an environment where you're either going to take it lying down or you're going to speak up and fight and make argumentation for it. And um, I think people are recognizing that there is an innate cost to, you know, just the world that we live in and how dangerous it is. And that's sort of the the life that we have to deal with. And unfortunately that comes at a very high cost for just our way of life. And as we know it, and, and I feel like what we, what we've seen in Ireland is not too different from what we've seen in France or what we've seen in the United Kingdom or what we've seen in, you know, the United States. And I, I guess really the, the big thing that we have to observe is, is that Ireland being a, a smaller power on the world stage, do they have the political will and the ancestral connection to their own identity, which again, as we mentioned earlier, and as a commenter in the essay even pointed out, is rooted paradoxically in this nationalist struggle for identity. Mm -hmm. What, you know, will they, will they, will they pick up the crown that was left in the mud? You know, can, will Conor McGregor lead some sort of political influence? And uh, I think you had joked with sort of the, the Anakin Padme meme. It was like, I don't want him to run for office. He's like, <laughs> Oh, so you want him to just stay lying down? No, you know, um, <laughs> no, we, we, can, we, we can all be hopeful, right? That maybe yeah. one day a, a king of Ireland can come or something. But I think we need to be realistic in our um, appraisal of the situation that as with all things in the West, um, unfortunately, we are, I, I like to think that we are in the days of St. Augustine, wherein, you know, we're, we're going to witness this, you know, Alaric come in and sack Rome and, we're going to be the survivors of what's left. And the question becomes, are you going to defend the city of God and work to defend it and build it? Or are you going to just 
accept your new overlords and abandon your faith. And I think for, for a lot of Catholics and Protestants in Ireland, for all Christians everywhere in the West, that is the challenge that's laid at our feet is, are you still willing to fight the good fight and keep your race? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, you know, a big, a big, big question is all of it. I mean, the, the entire force of, of, of our entire social structure, entire, every, everything external to us is pressing against you to say that every form of national, I mean, that's, that's the result of the second world war really is that any, that, that any form of nationalism or national identity is, is outlawed is forbidden. And Ireland is one of the only places that it was still allowed to exist. And, and uh, also Israel, right? Those are like the, really the two outliers in the entire uh, Western world. I, I would, I would include Israel in, in the Western world. Um, maybe that's controversial to do, but, uh, but those are the two places where it's still allowed where you're still allowed to have a national identity to view yourselves as a, as a distinct people with your own, own distinct um, goals as a people and to be ruled together, you know, ruled rather uh, by your own people and, and not part of, you know, uh, a giant global economic zone. Right. That is, that's, that's why Ireland is, is, is I think as important as it is, but I, I think despite, you know, despite that, I think in America, in, in Great Great Britain, in, in Germany, and France, and these places, like you, you are, you are beginning to very slowly. It's it's much going much more slowly than, than you or I or any of anybody listening would, would want. Um, but there is beginning to become much more of a reaction, right? There is there is starting. I mean, you see this with like the election returns in in Holland. And, and all of these parties, like, I mean, you see this, like the people that pay much more attention and are much more familiar with European politics totally know that, okay, AFD in Germany and Gert Wilder's party in, in Holland and even the, you know, the French, you know, supposedly far right parties are actually not that right wing, right? They are, they're, they're maybe a barely to the right of the Republican party of the United States, right? They're, but they get cast as these very far right parties. When the reality is no, they're they're basically standard GOP people in their in their own countries. Um, so it's going it's very slow, but at the same time, I, I think as the the previous generation shuffles off the mortal coil, right? You see Henry Kissinger die, you see Diane Feinstein die, you see all you know, eventually the the dementia patient in the White House is no longer going to exist. And and even Trump himself, he's seventy eight years old. Right. That that generation is is quickly passing away and the next generation is is on the way. And and I think, you know, the millennial and Zoomer generation on the right, the ones that are active, the ones that have energy, the ones that are, are doing things and, and writing things and, and speaking out, um, they're much, much further to the right. Um, and so, oh, did I lose you? Oh, no, I think I may have lost the prudentialist. Or I bored him. <laughs> I bored him too much. Uh, try to come back, my friend. Uh, uh, the internet in his secret compound might be might be out. But uh, I'll I'll finish my thought here, and if if uh, if Prudentialist is able to join us again, I will uh, I'll I'll let him finish finish up. Um, but I, I think these things are are going to continue to develop, continue to grow. Um, and, and so the, the question about, you know, why is the younger generation more, <laughs> thank you. Glad you're still here for me. Uh, why, why is the younger generation still, um, you know, more vocal? I, I, I think, you know, we've answered that, but I, I'm, I'm at the same time, I'm glad that they are right. I'm glad that they are, are saying, saying things and doing things and becoming much, much more energized because the hour you have CJ is, was here, he'd say the hour is very late, uh, to quote, you know, Spengler. Um, and, and so, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, always, this is, this is maybe my nature, but I'm, I'm encouraged by it. I want, I want this to continue happening. I want people to be able to just recognize reality and see where things are and be able to say, no, that the nation that we had in America, um, you know, certainly at the time of 1945 and before that, that that was, a, it was a good country. It was a, it was a, a beautiful country and we want to keep that. Right. We don't want it reduced to a global shopping mall. Right. We don't we we I, I want there to be a place called England that exists that's that's full of you know, Anglo Saxon people. 
right? I want I want France to be French. I want Germany to be German. That that's good. Those are you know, God made those places. He want the, he, he 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 built them up. He he Christianized them, and they, they've been dechristianized, um, you know, lately. Uh, but I, I think that too will come back, and that's part and parcel. I wanted to talk to Prudentialist about that a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I don't know if he's able to rejoin us. I'll, I'll try to uh, catch with, catch him here on on Twitter and see if he uh, um, if he has uh, uh, if his internet's back. Uh, see if he can rejoin. Um, but as far as that goes, I think it, it I think it is going to <clears throat> it's could continue to grow. Uh, the ideas that are, are spreading, the reaction to globalism is 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 growing. And people are 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 raising up. There there are actually leaders that are are be, that that God is raising up for us, and so like I I I'm optimistic uh, for the future, even though the outlook overall is bad. It doesn't look good out there. Uh, but I I think uh, things are are going to be are going to be good, and we are going to win. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if Prudentialist is able to join us. The internet there, I think, is is. Uh, is shot. It's over. They attack. They attack his internet. Uh, and CJ, uh, CJ wants us to know, wants you all to know that, uh, that he, he will not be able to return to Contramundum until he gets to 6,000 followers. So make sure that happens. And, and also, uh, you know, he wants, he wants more people to subscribe to this show. That's the other message from him. We're, uh, we're at like 800 subscribers now. Uh, and so if we get to, you know, a thousand that would be really cool because then you know we can actually plunder google and and take some cash from them so we can actually pay for uh being able to to do the show we so far we haven't we've made zero dollars doing contramundum so it'd be nice to recoup some of that and uh and uh have them uh pay us back a little bit so yeah make make uh 200 burner accounts all of you uh <laughs> all of you watching and, and subscribe to the show um, send it to your, to your, your, all of your siblings and friends and family, uh, and tell them, even if you don't watch subscribe, uh, but please watch too. Uh, but, uh, I will, uh, in the, in the links here on the, on the show notes, I'll, I'll include Prudentialist article. I, I want you all to read it. It's, it is absolutely fantastic. CJ is coming out with more stuff too. Um, in the coming, uh, in the coming years, the expenses, well, even to have a streaming service, right. To be able to, to stream it, uh, here, I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this. This is cause it's interesting. Like people don't realize this. Um, right. To be able to stream and for CJ and I to be able to connect, um, you know, across the, the continent, um, there's streaming services that cost money, you know, having, having an RSS feed that uploads, you know, to the audio that costs money too. Uh, so it's actually, it's actually cost us some money and we haven't, uh, you know, CJ's taken all the Greco Greco gum money. And so, uh, I've got gotten, <laughs> I've not gotten any of the, uh, the Greco gum money. Uh, he's going to hate that I said that, but, uh, no, uh, there, there, there are a few costs associated with it. Not, not just opportunity cost. Um, and so, yeah, so that, so we're, we've never done it. We're not, you know, it's not about the money. It's about sending a message. Uh, so we don't, <laughs> you know, we really care about the money too much, but it'd be nice to you know, take some money away from Google and, uh, and, uh, be able to pay for some things. But, uh, Nevertheless, uh, I, I appreciate all of you. Thank you. Please, again, like, subscribe, share it. Let people know that uh, that you're enjoying Contramundum. We'll try to – we've been having – you know, the last two weeks, we've had like two two episodes a week. And uh, I keep telling CJ we got to keep doing that, uh, keep having keep having more guests. Uh, we really want – you know, chime in. And uh, I think – yeah, we I think we lost uh, – I think we lost Prudentialist. He's not able to rejoin us. His, uh, his internet uh, – his internet shot. Um, but, uh, uh, please, yeah, please join us next week. We want to have, uh, Paul Gottfried on, on the show again. And, um, maybe next week or the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to have, uh, Paul on again. And so at any rate, uh, please, uh, please stay dangerous and we will see you next time.